I'm going to leave that yawn on the intro, John. <laughs> I was in my head. I was going, oh, at least I made it in time before, it, before the music started. Sadly, you did not. Uh, it's been a while. It has been a while. This is what? This has been a two week gap, three week gap. That's like a month, right? Yeah. Three weeks or, or four weeks. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's your fault. You got sick or something. I did get, I just had a cold, but it was, went around my whole family. Hmm. I was just one of those, I, I think I felt, be, I felt better last week, but I just still had so much snot and stuff. I'm like, I don't want to deal with that, trying to record an audio show with being completely congested, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't have colds, but we went through the sinus infection thing just because of our allergies mm. as a family are so bad. Yeah, it's bad right now. So. And I say colds, but heck, maybe it was COVID. I have no idea. Oh, whatever. <laughs> what do you mean, whatever? Really? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm done with, I mean, earlier on, every time someone got a sniffle, we took them to get tested. I've, I've spent, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars on tests. I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah, there's a period of time where uh, you get you would uh, kind of chime in and say, oh, I've got to go take one of my kids to get a test. Yep. So. No more. Meanwhile, my kids have, have not had to take any testing, and they're very active in sports where they're they're right up against playing with yeah. with each other, so I, yeah, I guess I should be thankful that nobody's gotten sick. But on our side, it's been pretty pretty non-eventful. Yeah, I, it, it's just it's really rare for kids to to get sick from COVID mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And oddly, there's just no risk of flu. Um, one of my neighbors is a pediatrician, and I was talking to him last weekend, and he said, "Jeremy, guess how many cases." We've had a flu because he's a pediatrician, right? You know, hundreds of kids, mm-hmm. his patients, whatever. It's like I don't know. He said zero, zero cases of flu this season in his in his clinic. Well, well, that's just contributing to the new quote unquote norm, isn't it? Where masks are just going to be a normal thing. Oh, apparently so, because all these you know all these uh, government and and medical leaders that have uh, been you know double vaccinated and still wear double masks. I, mm. I don't understand that. But uh, yeah, I guess it's masks forever. I don't mind show title, John. I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind masks for personal safety and things like that. I think not having a stigma around flu season for people who want to wear a mask. I think that's that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, n- I'm not a fan of the man of mandates though. I'd rather it be a choice. I thought you liked going on mandates. I don't. I don't. No. <laughs> no, I'm not a fan of mandates. You said every time we have a date, you like it. No, that's different. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 I'm not going to go forward with that one. I have a feeling I'm going to have a really hard time talking, so I apologize for my stuttering and mumbling because yes, part low of energy. Stuff. Where are you? Low stuttering? energy. Yeah, that's that's what people come to expect out of this show: low energy and yeah, and, and lack of professionalism. That's okay. That's fine. It's it's our show, right? It is our show. Can I? Since we're talking about masks, can I can I start off with something that was sent to us by a friend of the show, Shell Black? Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> I don't know where he gets the money for this stuff, but Will I Am is is launching another techie product. Um, and but this time it's a mask that's got apparently like some kind of headphone thing built into it, and it's got this cyberpunk style, and it's retailing for like three hundred dollars, and it's just insane. 
Yeah, who, who keeps funding him? Did, I don't did know. They not, did they not look at his track record before they decided to fund him? <laughs> so, I mean, there's there's a couple of things to be well, shocked about there. One, that he's that he's still getting funding to kind of launch these kind of crazy ideas. But two, a $300 mask? Who, who's buying this? The future is now with a new face mask. I mean, really? Does he... I mean, this this kind of thing indicates that we will be masks uh, masked forever, right? Well, because the whole a whole industry's been created around it. So, of course, it doesn't say who's backing him. I wonder if he got his his friend Mark Benioff to to back him. Oh, I'm sure there's there's some kind of incubator thing going on there. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I will not be buying one of those. I can I can I'm pretty sure of that. Oh crap! I already pre ordered one for you. I, did, I said I wouldn't buy one. I didn't say you wouldn't buy one. Although, based on the way it looks, I wouldn't wear one either. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit out there. I still like our Good Day Sir panty masks. Those are... Yeah, we still have those. Yeah, I have one somewhere. I, I don't know where I put it. I opened it, and I don't know where it is, but... Mm. They're panties, aren't they? <laughs> uh, I mean, they're, they're smooth and silky. They certainly feel good. <laughs> uh. I don't know how that, they don't seem like they protect anything. Well, so think about that, it. That's when you'd have to double mask. Think about it. You got you got people like Victoria's Secret that sit around and going, "Okay, uh, we normally make you know nice, silky, soft underwear, mm-hmm. but people are sitting at home and they stop buying business clothes. They probably stop buying new underwear. So what are we going to do with these factories that have all these like silk clothing factories that we have? Let's make masks. So they basically they are panty masks. I bet. I think there's a flaw in your logic, by the way. <laughs> okay. I think I think people are buying more underwear. Because they used to wear pants, and the pants would prevent the rubbing of the underwear and ruining them. And now everyone's just wearing underwear. Oh, just raw underwear? Yeah, yeah it's like business on the uh, top and, I don't know, couch potato on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. People are having to go through a lot more underwear. That's my, that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, we have a, John, we have a new, we're, doing, we're back to doing a Google Doc here. What do you think of this? Mm, I'm sure it'll work out better. It just feels like a lot of work, but it's not. I don't know. It's it's the the psychological aspect well, of see, it. See, I do me. this anyway, but I just do it in an Evernote. And I thought, you well, know, I do too. Okay, that's why mine looks formatted the way it does because that's kind of I pulled it from my notes. Okay, so yeah, um, I don't mine, know. Mine are more organized than yours. So. I just feel like it would give us. We wouldn't. You and I each wouldn't be so blindsided by topics, and mm-hmm. we could. Not that we're going to, but we if we wanted to, we could do some prep. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I used to try to prep John, but. Life's uh, life's not allowing that these days. Yeah, life gets busy. Doesn't. In it? fact, to the point that like I I actually got I, I felt myself getting some anxiety about recording again because it's like I, you know, it's one of those things where it's hard to find the time, and then also you know certainly I mean I, I don't feel like I'm going to be prepared, and we're you know this is not going to be like a I've been gone for a month. Can you imagine how great the show is going to be? It's like no, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not how this works. <laughs> Lower ex- expectations, uh, yeah. right? Uh, but but in my mind, I'm like, I feel like I have expectations for myself because we haven't recorded a show in a month, so it needs to be a good one. And but I still don't have anything prepared. I don't, you know, this is, you've I got quite a bit on here. There's stuff prepared. Just like, uh, we had a lot of overlap news on news though, but the news is not that great. This is, none, none of the stuff is that great. That's the thing. My, okay, like, my stuff is good. Okay. <laughs> well, what show? What should we do? So, okay, my thought was we throw the topics on here and then. We could just collaboratively, like whenever, you know, if you want to move something up or down or whatever, and then maybe the things towards the bottom, some, some of that stuff you'll just not get to, but. Well, I kind of like when we can converse and I can say, oh, let me tangent to that. Yeah. Because it kind of flows, I think. That, that works too. Well, let's just start at the top. Uh, and and I, I thought this was new, 
mm-hmm. but I, I think it's new. But, you know, I, I was seeing references that maybe it's not new, but I think it is. Um, these new Google, they're like career certificates. I'm not exactly sure what I've you'd, what never you'd call heard of them. those. Well, so they have a, well, and, okay, let me see if this works. Um, hang on, let me see where my audio is going. Because I just remember that this thing has an audio clip. A resume full of experience does not mean you can't achieve your goals or get a higher paying job. Yeah, one that's in demand, right? Imagine having a company like Google backing you up. Google? you in front of employers who are hiring. The Rebound Arizona's Megan Thompson diving into the Google Career Certificate Program, which can train you in a matter of weeks for a job in key fields of technology. This is meant to be done on your own time, at your own pace, in your own space. The folks Ooh, at Google say rhymes. their career mm-hmm. certificates are meant to break down any barriers that may exist for you. Right now, 1.3 million jobs have the specifications of their certification. Pro- so, okay, already, I've, I didn't even realize this because I didn't watch this video before. Um, it's almost like the Salesforce game where they've, they're creating proprietary certificates that, that they then force like partners to, to get, which then creates a job demand for those for those things. Yeah, uh, I mean that when she was describing, I was like, Trailhead did this already. Yeah, and now so now Google and Google has signed up like 140 companies into this program. Well, and actually, and, if it were fair, we should say Microsoft did this already. Yeah, oh, this is nothing new. This is just <laughs> it's just a new iteration. It's um, and maybe it's the Cloud 3.0 version of it, John. Oh God, we're doing that now. <laughs> of course, we are tired of the 3.0, yeah. 4.0, 5.0. Is this um? Next, they're going to take the Apple route, and it's just going to be, they're just going to list, list landmarks. Web London, Web uh, Eiffel Tower, I don't know, something like that. Which industrial revolution are we on now? I don't know. <laughs> the blue <laughs> sock revolution, I don't know. The blue sock revolution? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, you that just like, came to me. Those are just words that are the, falling out of these your These are visions. <laughs> okay. These are visions of the future that have come to me. Um. So yeah, so you know, Google has has you know recruited these companies to participate in this, uh, rec- and these companies now are creating job postings that supposedly require these brand new Google certifications. Mm. And and you know they're talking about you know um, starting these are jobs for starting salaries of like sixty to seventy thousand. So these are you know clearly like beginner beginner things. And but the deal is like this seems like something to me because you know Google being the company that has a massive monopoly. That, you know, uh, has more money than they know what to do with. And, you know, you talk to any company who, who has to do digital advertising and they'll tell you how much they hate Google because it's a big scam. Um, you, this is something that I, would, I, would, I, I thought, oh, this is great because, you know, Google's making all this training available and you can get certified and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's not free. It's not, it's not super expensive, but it's not free. It's 39 bucks a month. It's a subscription, of course. Oh, wow. I'm like, okay, here we are targeting... You're getting the 140 probably richest companies, including Google, to sign up for this program. And you're targeting the most unexperienced and probably desperate people for these programs. And you're charging them 39 bucks a month to participate in this program. I don't know. It just seems like it seems like coming from Google should be free. Plus, I think it looks like they're outsourcing the content. I think it was Coursera or one of these. I can't remember that they're just kind of. I don't know, iframing in the courses or something. They're probably on someone else's platform, yeah. some LMS platform or something. Yeah, let's see if this lady has anything else good to say. Process with entry-level positions starting around $70,000. 
We have 130 employers who have signed up to hire graduates of the Google Career Certificates. So they've weighed in, they've all looked at the Google Career Certificates and have decided that we're teaching exactly the- By the way, this is the Grow with Google Vice President. Hmm. The skills they need for the people that they want to hire. Lisa Givelber is Grow with Google's Vice President. She says after launching the Google Career Certificate Program back in 2018, they've seen tens of thousands of graduates find success. 82% of those folks got a new job or a promotion or a raise within six months of completing the programs. So we know it works, and that's one of the reasons we've been able to invest again um, to create these additional career fields. With the pandemic, they've now expanded the original. And just, uh, you know, anytime these companies they they um, uh, promote all these like these vanity metrics and mm-hmm. pat themselves on their back for their self congratulatory success, it's like uh, who's measuring? Who's measuring? How are they measuring this? Who's measuring this? Well, they are. Yeah, to include more opportunities. So our certificates are in four key job fields um, in project management, data analytics, IT support. Those are the folks who set up your computers and make sure they work and fix them when they don't. Um, And user experience design, which is a really creative field. So, I mean... you think of UX or in any data analytics, it's like, okay, so, because they're talking about, you know, you get in this and you this for a few weeks and you can get certificates and this stuff and you're ready to go. You're a professional now. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, John? That's cheaper than a college degree. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just like, do you, do you think that people can actually get qualified to? I think they can if it's, if it's fresh in their memory. I think one of the disadvantages to a lot of these programs out here that, that try to teach you some new skill is that without experience and repetition, you just lose it. You just atrophy. Yeah, I guess. I guess my point is, I don't think it's realistic to tell people that they, they you know, s- sign up for the subscription service, pay your money. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it'll take a few weeks, and then you will be a, a UX design expert. I, I just, I don't think that's realistic, and I, I think that's a little manipulative. I mean, if they're targeting departments within Google, and that department gets to decide on the curriculum. I don't know, say they're a big, I don't know, maybe they're working on some specific piece of software and they're able to tailor the curriculum specifically to that on how you configure it, how you maintain it, how you manage it, and even just the process flow of how they update it and maintain it. I mean, that's that's much better than just hiring someone and having to sit, have them sit there and train on the job. I mean, they're almost getting people to pay to train themselves for yeah. the new job. Yeah, I don't know. Usually when you start a new job, I mean, it's... it's typically like a, a month of that type of stuff anyway but sure anyway i mean i don't know maybe it's good it just i'm just trying to i'm just trying to be somewhat positive on the idea but i mean i don't i don't really i haven't seen the curriculum i don't really know what it's trying to teach you or what the target is it seemed like based on what she said that it, they touted how internal departments were were excited about this and they were looking for people to have those certificates. I mean, I don't know if that was top down pushed and said, hey, you better hire X number with, with certificates or or what. But. Well, and it's, isn't that ironic coming from Google and what and how and what they're known for in terms of how hard it is to get a job there and the interview process? It, I mean, historically, it was like a. It, oh, they're famous. They're famous. Yeah. I mean, they're the, they're they're the poster child for incredibly difficult to get a job at and just brutal but no, rounds and rounds they and rounds of, off that they were doing this program under they it wasn't someone that was going to work on the search engine algorithm 
it's, it's project management. It's, you know, front-end design, which it's probably like a bunch of accessibility testing things and stuff like that. So you, so you are downplaying these, what they're, okay, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> I'm saying they're higher level fields. They're not, it's not like there's a certificate that says you can, now you can go work on our search engine. So one of the, one of the tag lines I saw for this was skip college, Google instead. I saw that. I wanted to make fun of that so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think it's interesting. I mean, it, more than ever mm-hmm. in my life, I, I, I've, there is more skepticism of the tip of the, the traditional college route than there ever has been in my life, which I'm kind of happy to see because I, um, I, I didn't get a, I didn't finish my bachelor's degree until I was well into my career, and I was always a little concerned, you know, that that was going to be a problem. Although mm-hmm. it never, it never really was. I mean, I kind of launched early, and but I was always kind of concerned about that. And I, I really resented that so many companies, like they kind of like the only thing they cared about was, do you have the bachelor's degree? And I thought that was so dumb that they would uh, be prejudiced against the people's capabilities based on, you know, a bachelor's degree, which is, uh, bachelor's degrees are, I don't even, I mean, I don't know. I, can, I don't want to speak for all bachelor's degrees or paint a broad brush, but like they're, it's, they're not saying that much <laughs> in general. Yeah. Well, I think the I think the education industry did it to themselves, really. I mean, they they started caring more about the number of students than, than the number of dollars, and they wore about education. And so you ended up with a lot of schools that their only purpose is to give you a master degree so you can kind of be brought in and, into some high level role or something. And it was just you know basically pay for your your uh, uh, degree. Yeah. Well, and I don't mean and pay for it as in pay for it and get an education. I mean just. Check the boxes, show up, and we'll get you your degree. <laughs> again, again, g- going back to the idea of, you know, creating almost fake markets for these things, for these certificates, for, uh, and, and for, and back, back in the early days, college degrees. I mean, the reason we, the reason, I mean, when you look at the, you know, like, inflation rates of the cost of college, it can, it, it really, it correlates directly to how we've been uh, subsidizing college. And... M- when you subsidize something, you get more of it. And mm. we over-subsidize, in my opinion, over-subsidize it. We got too much of it. And then, you know, and then to the point that, you know, we have this epidemic of all these, you know, kind of highly educated people that, that are over-socialized and don't, and don't have any real skills. And so they're at their parents' house still on social media all the time with their masters in some liberal arts thing. And, then, you know, they're not employable. Because yeah. that's what we subsidized. Right. And did you ever go to college counselor in high school? Mm-hmm. Or what did they? What was always the message? To get a degree. Yeah, got to go to college. Yeah. Because that's what the system trained everyone to say and to do. Yeah. yeah and I'm just, I'm, it, it, it's making me happy to see that we are questioning that at, at pretty high levels. You know, there's always the things like doctor or lawyer or whatever that you're going to have to, it just takes time and you got to go through the program. But for tons of things, and a lot of this tech, I mean, is kind of a great example of it. I mean, you just, you don't necessarily need that traditional education route to be productive for, in, a, in an economy. Yeah. It's, it's some of these things. I mean, I think there's, there are certain industries that lend themselves better to, to just, uh, what do you call it, apprenticeship or internship. Yeah. I mean, those, there, mm-hmm. there are plenty of jobs that lend themselves perfectly for that. And then there's other professions that, yeah, they require... They, they do they require that formal education that formal process and that's 
that's what people should be going to college for. But, you know, we've, we've kind of, I, I think we as a society kind of, because we demanded people go to the college and we put that and made that such a requirement. Um, and people were going to college not knowing what they were going to do. And so they started taking a bunch of just regular BS classes or things that they thought were interesting. And before they knew it, they were four years down the bachelor's degree and still not knowing what they want to do. And, you know, $150,000 in debt or whatever. Whereas if they had maybe gone gone and done an internship or did an apprenticeship or worked part-time, they might have found something along the, in that time that they could have been passionate about and then focused their education on that. Hell, yeah. I wanted to be a doctor when I first started, but I got into programming because I couldn't sell well, well and I built my own tools. <laughs> well, I tinkered before that, but then I started using that tinkering to build my own tools to help me be better at what I was doing and and I really liked programming. Did it help you sell better? Uh, kind of. <laughs> but I, it, it helped me. It helped me grab the information I needed better, so that I didn't sound like an idiot. But I'm not a good salesman. I'm not good at upselling. I'm not good at. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm like excited just the fact that you're willing to give me a credit card. <laughs> Did you ever see Glenn Gary Glenn Ross? Uh-uh. You, you really should watch that. Really? Yeah. I mean. It'll, it, it will probably give you PTSD a little bit, um, or, or it'll trigger you mm-hmm. because any, anyone who's been in a, like a high pressure sales or like, you know, you've got to sell in order to like make a paycheck and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of triggering, but it's also such a good movie. It's from like the, I want to say it's gotta be eighties, <clears throat> but it's good. It's got some, it's got, you'll, it's got some interesting faces and names that you'll recognize. It's good yeah. though. No, I mean, I'm sure it's it like, I'm sure you can stream it on Netflix or something. It's an old movie. Oh, you can stream everything on everything now. As long as you're willing to pay, what, what are we up to, 300 a month on streaming services, something like that? Really? That's where you're at? I'm, I'm guessing. I've Not got Hulu. I've got Netflix. I've got, uh, well, I used to have Disney, but I always cancel that once Mandalorian's over. Yeah, me too. Um, what's, uh, I got BritBox. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh it's just a way so I can watch a bunch of British TV. Oh, okay. And, oh, BritBox, I get it. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Did I say Hulu already? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm at like a hundred. It's got to be a hundred. I, yeah. I pay like 70 bucks for YouTube TV, and then we have Netflix. Disney's canceled. I get HBO Max for free with my internet. Mm. So, I don't know. If you're at 300, I, I would suggest possibly you're doing something wrong. I don't I, I'm just throwing that number yeah. out there, but I wouldn't surprise okay. me if it's up there. <laughs> All right, John. Well, we uh, wasted a bunch of time on that. It's not a waste. That was a good conversation. We, we have a, there, there is a, a certain theme of some of these topics. Um, so let's go down the list because I think it kind of, I think it plays all together. Um, so Salesforce dumping office space. I don't know if you're reading those articles or not. Or just yeah, because some of it was overlap with, with what I have. And it was mainly, the stuff I was seeing wasn't necessarily that they were dumping office space. Just they were letting leases expire. But... They're can- you know, they're I mean, keeping I, I, some of the... They were using the words cancel. They were canceling leases. I mean, they're just not renewing leases. They're not they're renewing being, the right. WeWork offices. Yeah. You know, they're just, just stay home. Oh, guys. I think I think it's... Um, I think it's more than that. If, if they don't have their name on the building, like prominent, big, that's part of their marketing budget, then they're probably going to let it, let it lapse yeah. or let it, let it go once the, once the terms are up. But that's it's interesting, um, especially these companies that have gone out and acquired a bunch of real estate. And now, and this is not, you know, this is, this is a widespread problem. I, I just still wonder, I mean, what, what's going to happen to this commercial real estate market? I think it'll come back. I mean, some of the other articles I have on here, and I'm, uh, because of the way we formatted this, I'm struggling to find it. But 
Um, there's some companies that are saying they're going to go back to in-person as soon as possible, and mainly for reasons of it's, it's harder to get new people trained up. Um, the morale of people is really low, um, not only because they're just kind of in silos doing their work, but there's no, there's no interaction. The ability, the people's ability to kind of uh, work towards some kind of promotion is more difficult because they aren't able to interact with their, their, their uh, higher management. They're not able to kind of inject themselves easily into things to try to, you know, move their career forward. So it's just, it's just this very isolated thing where this is what you do and this is what you do in your own little bubble. And it's really hard to reach out of that. Yeah. In <clears throat> um, related news, so Salesforce says they will open their San Francisco tower in May, which is coming up in two weeks. But, uh, but employees can still work from home that's good. If they want to. Again, I think we, you were talking about, we were talking about that earlier, though. Like, can you really work from home? You know, is it good for your <laughs> career if you work from home? Hmm. I think it is. That For some of the salespeople, it is. Salespeople? Salesforce people. Oh. Um, having, having watched these, these poor individuals forced to work at a WeWork and sit in those stupid phone booths all day because they were on the phone all day. I think those people are really happy to be at their home office. I wonder if those, I wonder, that's interesting though, for areas where Salesforce doesn't have an office and they, they just have a contract at one of these co-working places. Mm-hmm. I mean, do these, be, do these people, are they required to go into the co-working space every day? Or can they not, are they just going there because, you know, their, their kids are at home and they need, a, they need, they need that quiet uh, phone booth? I mean, it seemed like a normal thing. All those people yeah. were there, and I'd walk by, and I'd see the same faces in those booths. I mean, that's what and I, they'd that's, be there for hours. That's what Sarah did, and we, she paid for that privilege. She was doing that before COVID. She well, was doing I, that every day. I did a co-work office too, and um, because my call schedule, I did end up sitting in that booth, and I could not stand it. Mm. I hated it because those booths are not comfortable. They're not yeah. meant for you to sit there and the, lounge the all day. Booth. They don't have good ventilation. No, the WeWork booths are really bad. <clears throat> so I mean, it's 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 horrible. It's torture. Yeah. Um, but they also so skipping down here another thing that came out was that oh this says it has video hang on a second let's see what that is it's the most prominent feature of the san francisco skyline and now we're learning the giant salesforce tower will reopen in may the cloud software company says it will gradually refill its 1.4 million square feet of space with employees but in order to return, they'll have to volunteer to do it, and they're going to have to prove they've been fully vaccinated. And that's where the debate dum, begins. Dum, dum. One could argue that uh, there's actually an ethical obligation to require uh, employees to be vaccinated. What? The question nobody is ready to answer, can companies <laughs> like require this. you to get the shot to return to the office? Most say it's a legal question, still too early to answer. We can't really institute this until everybody's had a fair chance to get the vaccine. So until we can uh, ensure that everybody's had an opportunity to access it. Already companies like Facebook, Intel, and Cisco have announced that returning employees will not have to be vaccinated, but all are strongly encouraging employees to do so. At San Francisco's Fast, some employees are already back in-house. The vaccine is not required at this time. They also say it's too early to force employees to do something 
not everyone has access to. The rollout for the vaccine has obviously um, been taking some time to reach everyone. And so we just want to make sure that before we make that official policy, um, that, that our employees have that ability to be vaccinated. Labor lawyers tell us companies can require employees to get vaccinated, with some exceptions. They also say we won't likely see that happen, at least for the next several months, until everyone gets a chance to get their shots. I wonder, I wonder which labor in, uh, attorneys they're, they're referring to, because um, most of the reading I've done this says it's definitely an open question. This is not, this is not resolved yet, whether companies can require vaccines, especially non-FDA-approved vaccines. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like that requirement <laughs> at all. I didn't figure you would. And what difference does it make from what they're doing now? Because they're saying it's not required now and they're letting people in. So what's the, what's the difference between now and a month from now? I don't know. Is it just an exertion of control and power? What, what, what's the point of it? I mean, I mean, you're, I, I, the, well, the weird thing is to me, okay, the, so people who, who are, you know, uh, to, particularly vulnerable to, um, to like a COVID illness. I mean, they can, you know, you can get a vaccine. Um, mm-hmm. You can get the vaccination. Uh, a lot of people who are, don't have any comorbidities, they're not old or whatever, you know, they're going to choose not to get the vaccine because they just have basically zero risk of getting, you know, it, uh, and seriously sick. Mm-hmm. And so they would rather just not do it. It's not FDA approved, you know, whatever. The people have their reasons. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of weird that. It would be required, given that the people who people who are concerned they, they can get the vaccine, and that's their choice. So that so that the unvaccinated you can't you know because before the vaccine the, the thing was well, um, you know you can be you might be healthy and uh you know not in the you know in the in the profile for being at risk for COVID, but you could still give it to someone else who mm-hmm. is. That's why you know I didn't see my dad for a, a year. Yeah, same here. But my dad has the vaccine now because he chose to get the vaccine because he's at risk. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to get the vaccine now because he's not going to get sick. Right? So again, people who want the vaccine so they don't get sick, because if they're in, again, they're at risk, they, that, they can do that. And, and now that we have that, it seems to me that kind of takes away some of the logic of requiring all the like, healthy young people to go to require them to get vaccines. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just my logic. No, I mean, I follow that logic. I just... The other thing is, you know, these it's companies, just, they, they don't want to create a, uh, an environment where, I mean, what if people are start getting sick at, from, from work? I mean, that could be a liability as well, or just, you know, certainly problematic. So maybe they're just trying to avoid that. You know, we don't, want, we don't want to be known for the work, for the office where everyone we got sick from. So you all get your vaccines. Yeah, I don't know if this is a mitigating lawsuit strategy or if this is a different kind of strategy. I, I don't know what side of the coin they're playing on. I, mean, I think this is without a doubt. This is uncharted waters. Yeah, legally, so we don't. We just don't know yet. But I don't know. And, you know, and the way this, the way our legal system works, it'll it'll take someone suing their employer mm-hmm. and then going through the court systems to, you know, find out what the what the, what the, what's going to happen. What they're going or, you know, uh, some congressional action to 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 be very clear about what the rule is. Yeah. Anyway. Do we have any like, you know, more uh, techie stuff, John? That we should get to, or why don't you? Yeah. Uh, why don't you take the reins for a while since I've been well. Since we're talking about people uh, 
working from home, I came across this uh, recommendation of a, a new video sharing tool. And I haven't used it. I'm curious if anyone else has used it. It's called, uh, I guess, Around or See You Around. What is I, it called? I, hadn't, I think it's called Around. Around. But I, um, I hadn't heard of it, but I looked at it. It looks great. I mean, of course. I'd like to get someone's opinion right. who's actually used it. But one of the things I really like about it is that the video uh, itself has, uh, I'm going to use the word AI because that's what they say it is. But basically, there's an algorithm that tracks your face Yeah. so that it can keep your face in the center of the image. Um, it also in, uh, shrinks the, um, I guess, the focus or masks everything around you except for your face. So you end up in these little bubbles. So everyone that's on the video conference call it has little bubbles for their faces. And one of the nice things about that is as you're moving around and things like that, it's tracking that and keeping your, your face center. But also your background isn't a distraction, which it can be. And I love their website because it shows one of the viral videos of some businessman having a meeting and then their kid just walking in behind them type thing. Um, and so it kind of would avoid some of that. But from a technology perspective, at least based on their marketing, um, they even, they've also spent a lot of time with the tech, meaning they're saying that the three of us or you, to me and you could be in the same room on the same call, both with our laptops and both, both of us with our microphones on, and it would not interfere with the signal. We wouldn't get this weird echo. We wouldn't get any of that. It would, that it would just process it correctly. Yeah. I mean, that's the way, you know, I mean, Zoom has that, Skype has that. Um, they all have that to some degree. Some work better than others. It's, yeah. you know, it's an algorithm. Of course, they say theirs is AI. But, of course. Yeah, it's all AI, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think some of the features are interesting, and I, I'd like to see companies shooting up. I mean, uh, basically saying there's a demand. Uh, yeah, Zoom is the big thing, and they've, they've got it covered, but there's no reason other people can't come in with new ideas and new, way, new features to, to try to take them on. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like Zoom was a, a pretty good leap forward compared to what we had at the time. But I don't know. They're, they're now the entrenched player and they've got their, what's the mode called that businesses get in where they have a, basically they have a cash cow to protect and so mm -hmm. they don't innovate. It's more about protecting the cash cow than it is innovating. Yeah. Seems like that's where Zoom is at this point in their life cycle. Yeah, I think right now most of their uh, resources are being spent on just keeping the network up. To be honest, I don't know if there's a lot of money for innovating right now. Could be. Although, man, I can tell you, they've done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, it's not easy. In fact, that's another one of my articles that we can talk about is, is the fact that um, there's such a demand for, for CPUs and processors and chips in general because the demand has been so much so high. Um, I first got into some of this, some of these articles, some of these news things, because uh, a lot of the circles that I follow, um, like, you know, building high-end PCs for gaming and things like that, it's really hard to get graphics cards. And um, the, for the longest time, we've all been blaming the, the Bitcoin miners for that stuff. Oh, yeah. But there, there's new information coming out saying that, yeah, it's not the Bitcoin markers. It's the fact that so many people are having to move to remote working. Um, companies have invested more in purchasing new equipment for those people, new laptops, where someone before would be sitting at a desk on a desktop. Mm -hmm. Now they were issued a laptop and they're at home. Um, you also have uh, cloud service providers, you know, people like Apple and Google and Zoom and everyone else who are running data centers that are buying more equipment because their network systems are being taxed. They need more hardware. Um, so all of that's contributing. And the fact that there's only a handful of manufacturers that develop a lot of these kind of low-level um, chips, 
um, before they get value added into other markets that, that it's put a strain on it. That well, the COVID was a minimal impact compared to how much the demand is. And it's going to take us a year or two to get out of that demand cycle. That, yeah, I think for the you know, general computer stuff, this will be true. But were you talking about like high-end graphics cards? Uh, high-end graphics cards, but even just CPUs in general. So well, just yeah. being able to okay. just plug in a new blade into a, to a server room somewhere, it's it's tough to get. I, I thought you were kind of making a co- connection between like your, your gaming graphics card. And... No, that's what got me into the news part of the news cycle of it. And then that's when you start, when you dig in deeper and you start getting deeper into the news, you find out how strained the uh, the ecosystem on the hardware front is right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the, you know, the PC makers did, did well during this, right? Yeah, they they they're doing well, but the problem is they're running out of supply. Yeah, well, and and not only because increased demand, but also you know probably because some of these factories and the and the the whole uh, supply chain was disrupted over the past year. Yeah, and that that was the interesting part is that that did have an impact. I'm not saying it didn't, but the reports are that that while that did have an impact, it's minimal compared to the demand the demand curve spiking. In terms of just trying to meet that demand. Yeah. Well, so related to that, since we're talking about Zoom, is this, <laughs> if we can go to this, Salesforce lays out its cloud 3.0 strategy. 3.0 strategy. So we, we've, and I don't, you know, we, okay, so Mark Benioff dropped this term cloud 3.0 a while back, right? Or at least a few months ago. I think we've talked about it before. I stopped listening whenever they say cloud something or industrial revolution. Well, also, you know, when they come out with version numbers for these things, I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to wait to cloud 5.0 until it gets good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll, patch maybe, 3, maybe, maybe we'll have namespaces by then, by yeah. cloud 5.0. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> um, but as, as best I can tell from what I've read here is that the cloud 3.0 basically has three main pillars to it. Um. I guess one of them is they have something called, or it's it's a next generation of Sales Cloud 360. Now I'm I'm glad we have a new generation of Sales Cloud 360, John. But what the hell is Sales Cloud 360 to begin with? It was just what they it, it was just what they had today. Okay, right? I, I guess um, with some I, with some Heroku in the middle to kind of let it all talk together. I don't know. I'm not Heroku. Um, MuleSoft. Oh, MuleSoft. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was so that was customer three hundred and sixty. I, I I know that was a thing, and that was a uh, that was the with the I don't know ID management stuff or identity or I'm not sure. Still not clear on that. Um, but anyway, so no, self, the the I think the, I think one of the three things is this hyperforce, which I think we talked about before too. Sounds familiar. I I've since forgotten it. It's I think it's just you know what Salesforce calls their Kubernetes initiative. They can basically just you know mm. you know they can spin up a, a pod anywhere. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, th- I guess I guess to me that okay, that solves your internal problems. I don't see. Can I just run that? That's like, not locally a, for local development. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's, it's just funny because now that Salesforce is on cloud 3.0, they're going to use uh, actual cloud technology. So that, that's good to know. Um, second one was meetings. Have you looked at this? Salesforce is it's called Meetings, capital M. It's a product. That's their video what meeting to anywhere. What was it? I don't know. It was called anywhere, right? Yeah, they well, that wasn't that a acquisition from forever ago. But that that's what that was for. It maybe was, maybe know, so. collaboration and video and and maybe this is a maybe this is a Slack thing they got because I know Slack was they were working on video, mm. and they have video, I guess they have calls. I know has that. has Slack officially been acquired? No, no. 
Hmm. So I don't think they can make announcements like that based on their tech. I mean, they can choose to brand something that Slack out as Salesforce meetings, I think. Maybe, yeah. I mean, someone going to sue them or something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as long as Slack agrees to it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so Salesforce's meeting is, it's a video meeting management system, which sits on top of any video call provider. Hmm. And it's meant to take the place of the in-person sales meeting. Um, it's designed to turn every digital video meeting into sales engagement. Ooh, that sounds Ooh, gross. I know. That does sound gross. <laughs> The system surfaces insights about the individual someone is meeting with, uh, the company they work for, and what's happening. Here's an example. It can tell the user things like, oh, by the way, it uses embedded Einstein AI, of course. Sweet. And it can tell the users things like, the customer is trying to speak and you're interrupting them. Oh, great. So my wife's sitting at the table with me. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you're, you're mansplaining right now. Can you? you know? oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. It should do that. It yeah. should. Uh, the conversation insight is really there to guide and facilitate better engagement and better selling through this medium of digital interactions that become power tools that sellers in this digital first world will need to thrive. Oh, my God. I know. Whew. Whew. So that's the second of three parts of Cloud 3.0. Uh, the third one is this thing called Pipeline Inspection, which is a data and analytics tool that, wait for it, uses AI <laughs> to tap into the deals that matter most for selling. Now, again, I thought we already had this kind of functionality, but I don't know. Maybe it's a new thing. Maybe it's just rebranded. Uh, because of how work has changed and data has become more digital, there's more noise and sales organizations need to know what data to tap into to help their businesses. Uh, pipeline inspection helps sales managers sift through the data that comes in day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. That almost sounds like a Ben Stiller prayer. Day by day, by day, by day. So, <laughs> so now they're instructing sales managers to sit in front of their screens instead of spending time with their salespeople. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I think that's quite it. And the whole, the whole too much data thing is their own fault. I mean, how many, how many sales, sales implementations, because I know we kind of do a different industry now, but back in the day when we we're heavily focused on sales CRM implementations, how many of them were just shooting themselves in the foot with data? They wanted their users to capture every freaking little thing. And I'm like, that's going to take them 10 hours to load this data. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So anyway, apparent, <laughs> according to Tech Republic, anyway, that, that's Cloud 3.0. Hyperforce, meetings, and pipeline inspection. Well, I mean, Salesforce has always been good about uh, taking something and polishing it and rebranding it and sticking it out there and, and getting eyeballs on it and yeah. even converting that into licenses. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Dollars per user per month. Yeah. They are masters at that. Yep. So I had something on my notes from, this is a while back, but I thought it was interesting. Um, I think it was, it was a Slack thing, and I think it was related to <clears throat> um, this feature Salesforce has, or Slack has now called Slack Connect, mm -hmm. where you can hook up your company Slack to another company Slack or another organization's Slack. And okay. so you can have like shared channels in between different organizations. We use that with Salesforce. Um, and I think one thing Slack's been always been pretty good about is not allowing people to like kind of barge into an organization and like DM people or whatever to, in order to like avoid harassment. 
mm-hmm. but they had to roll something back on this because they found out it was a vector for like unsolicited harassment because I, I don't I remember the, I don't remember the details of it but I don't know if it's when you oh I think it's you could you can maybe it was that you could DM someone from another organization in order to invite the connect process to start huh. um, without any kind of gate that whatever so um, I don't oh. know if there was a actually became a problem or they just I think they maybe realized early like oh yeah we got to pause this for a second because we just realized that's a potential vulnerability here for harassment. It's crazy what people would do. But I do like that connect feature. That's pretty awesome. Is it? Yeah. That's just, I mean, it's, it's a natural idea, you know, that you need to collaborate with other companies. Wouldn't it be great if... Because they have the thing now where you can bring in, like, I think what they call them, like, single-channel guest users, and we've used that for a long time. Mm-hmm. But for other organizations that use Slack, they've already got logins. It makes sense just to connect to their organization, and then you can create, you know, shared uh, shared channels, and you can DM with their people as long as they're in that channel or maybe i don't know or maybe if there is i think i think you can dm with anyone in that organization just like you could with yours maybe i'm not hmm. sure i don't know the details of it but it's it's one of those it's one of those things that it um it really capitalizes on slack's network effects just like what makes a, a social network valuable is that how many people are on it mm-hmm. this makes the fact that so many companies are on slack that's that is that could be a network effect if you leverage it. And I think this does that. You know, when you're considering, well, yeah, there's this other, you know, chat provider we could use or some open source thing, or we could host our own or whatever, sure, or your own IRC server, any number of things, right? Sure, you can do that. Yeah. But you don't get to Slack connect with all these other organizations. Yeah. So makes it more valuable. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, John. So I was a. Oh, I'll, I'll do one of mine. Okay. We'll go. We'll trade back and forth. I don't make you do all the talking. Uh, I learned a new trick, and this was uh, this was something I learned in. Um, I was doing a navigation component. I was looking at some of the recipes because um, I was building a navigation component for a community. Which, by the way, that thing's to do a proper navigation component from scratch is a pain in the a for sure. Um, I can go through all of that a, a bit later. I'm curious why, but yeah. Um. Uh, just building custom things on experience is a pain in general, and there's just a lot of things that don't work very well, but I'll get into that later. But uh, I I was reading some of the code, and I noticed it did something really weird. It created a variable, and that variable syntax was wrapped in a in a scoping block, meaning you had two curly brackets, and then you had a list of variables within that brackets. And it was setting that scope equal to another object. And I was like, what is this? Destructuring. And it was destructuring. And I've never seen that before. Never heard of it. Are you serious? No. That's <laughs> like one like, of the best features of, what are they, ES? ES6. Yeah, yeah ES6. And I was like, huh. that is clever as freaking hell. Uh, for a number of reasons. Because, I mean, you, you might have a pretty big object or you have, might have an object that was serialized from something else. And you only need a fragment of that information. The nice thing is you can pull that data out into this, this structure um, you can do things like uh, alias those 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 variable names. You can you can set defaults for those if there's no value there, and now you have a scoped variable. So if you're using your constant lets, now you have a scoped variable for whatever function or whatever that's in, and you can just use those in your code. So it's just it's such a nice nice feature that I just did not know about. It really so is. I was really excited seeing it. And when you look at the, I'm not sure which import syntax this is, but I think it may be the the actual the official like 
ECMAScript import syntax. Mm. When you can import multiple things from a package and use that curly bracket, that is destructuring. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so I've been using it without realizing yeah. what I was using. Yeah. <laughs> You've just only been using it for importing. Yeah. Yeah, I did not know that existed. And especially because I'm kind of neurotic. No, I'm neurotic, but I'm really picky about I mean, it. Uh, so. Let's be honest, you kind of are. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm working with um, with controller methods from Apex. I usually have to pass back a JSON structure. And because I have this variable that came from a serialized Apex command, it's not aware of what those properties are. And so my linter in my IDE oh. starts flagging all these variables like... I don't know where this came from. This is not a good variable. You just have to learn to ignore that. And so you either learn how to ignore it or you do what I do, which is create a bunch of local scoped variables. And I'm like, well, now I can do this and I can, I can do that much easier now. Yeah. <clears throat> does, um, does Apex have a thing nowadays where it, you know, if you're returning basically JSON, it just automatically serializes to JSON or do you still have to do that manually? You still have to, well, you, in your aura methods, you if you pass back a custom data type to so your own class, it'll serialize it, and then you'll get back a, a JSON structure on the other end. Okay. So that part's automatic. But a lot of times, I like to control what's being sent back. Um, sometimes I end up with an object that looks exactly like an S object, but I feel like I feel safer because I created that object and I map things. Oh, explicitly. so it's like a DTO. Like so, there's stuff that you know for security reasons or just performance reasons you know like i don't need to pass all these fields back i just need like three of them yeah. you can okay yeah create your own little dto yeah. in a way okay but th that's the intent but sometimes it ends up looking i end up mapping so many things i'm like oh crap i should have just passed this object back yeah but sometimes i'm down that rabbit hole i'm like well i've already tied everything to this but I, I see the policy a lot of times that um i think it's a pretty good policy and it kind of depends on what language you're in but you basically never let your domain objects out of the domain if they're yeah. going to leave, if you know you had a request come into the service layer, you send that into your domain, it, do, it does stuff and returns you, you know, back to the service layer, it's going to return domain knowledge. But then the, that service layer, which is kind of like your, this is security, but also like anti-corruption and everything else. Mm -hmm. It then takes those and, uh, you know, translates them to basically DTOs, which are safe to send and receive in and out of the service layer Yeah, to, to the clients. The other thing I like about it is that the other reason I do that is why I build a, we'll just say DTO, um, is that the casing matters to me. So yeah. when that data structure goes to my, J, my to my JavaScript, I don't want a bunch of properties that are proper cased. You know, I want them to be camel cased. Or a bunch of underscores. Or a bunch of underscores, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I like it for that aspect because then I can basically say, okay, I've got this Apex data. And I'm going to turn this into proper formatted JSON data that I know I can control and I can, I can make sure it's named properly so that on the other end, on the other side of things, I can work with it and it's natural. It's not this weird thing of why am I having this proper case property, um, which is just semantics, but yeah, it's, it's about the readability. It's about what people go into a JavaScript file and what they expect to see things to look like because we've built up this, this uh, vocabulary yeah. around it. Yep. I always like to adopt like reasonable coding standards, guidelines, or whatever that are you know normal for that language or ecosystem or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it too. It helps. Well, yeah, destructuring. It's uh, it's pretty cool. It it can get confusing though. Sometimes it 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 sets it uh, takes me aback a little bit. It's like what what's going on here? Like oh yeah, that's some kind of destructuring thing because there's there's really creative ways to use it. Yeah, I can imagine. I 
I think it's one of those things when when you learn it, you want to apply it to everything until you kind of get gain a balance, a balanced respect for it. Yeah, it's like you have a new superpower or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you get a new katana or something. You just start chopping everything, with it. You're like chopping eggs and chopping <laughs> celery or whatever. You're, you're fruit ninja now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is what popped in my head. Yeah. Well, let's see. I saw. Um, didn't we get some some kind of feedback or something? Some follow up. Uh, yeah, this was, uh, it's, it's follow-up, but it's from like a month ago. <laughs> That's okay. But we were talking about 1Password. It's still fresh because we haven't talked about it yet. That's true. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about 1Password and some of the features, which, by the way, I finally got my wife on 1Password. Oh, good. Um, so we'll see if she... Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've had her on it before, but I thought I had a family plan, but I didn't. So now I made sure I had the family plan and I made sure she had a vault and I made sure all that was set up on her machine because we were having issues with passwords because mm. none of my passwords are, you know... My son's name, dot, dot, dot. It's, it's some random generated 18-character yeah. password that's a pain to enter manually. So she's always asking you for passwords, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I send them to people, and I sometimes send them to you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what the hell is this, John? Uh, oh, this, just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, don't log into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to see that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, uh, we always say that. If you don't tell us we can use your name, we're going to be anonymous. So this one's going to be anonymous. But this person says that uh, if no one's mentioned it yet, I can confirm that 1Password OTP feature is the perfect solution to 2FA sharing login credentials as a consultant. Uh, been doing that, been, been doing it that way for two plus years. We encourage all our clients to turn on two-factor authentication. So thanks. They say thank you guys for being awesome. Yeah, so OTP is, is the one-time password thing. Yeah. So it's these things where you have to have, you know, like the Authenticator app or, or whatever. Right. And yeah, so one password is, you know, compliant with whatever the <clears throat> the OTP spec is. Right. And just like you know, Authy or Google Authenticator or Salesforce Authenticator, they'll do the same thing. I mean, probably have different, slightly different ways of doing it. Maybe they're secured in different ways, but uh, yeah. And the great thing about one password, if you're, if you use it as a part of an organization, you can create different vaults, which are shared to different people. And, yep. um, you know, if you're like, and I think a consulting company is at least like for us, it kind of makes sense because usually the client allocates like one license to us. Right. But we'll have several of people on our team that need to that need to log in, mm -hmm. which is, you know, one password's always been fine for that because we can, we have a, a, a secure way to share these credentials to our people. But when you throw a multi-factor in on that, it's like, okay, mm, well, who, who, who is the, you know, whose phone got registered with the right. one-time password? Yeah. Well, now we can do, instead of doing it on the phone, you can just, um, you know, one password's got the thing where you can just scan the the QR code with one password, mm -hmm. and now that one time password functionality is is in your one password entry, which everyone can access. Everyone who has access to that can access you know the one time password at any point. Yeah, so it's nice. Works well. Yeah, I need to gonna... I need to consolidate. I've got I've got one password. I've got Authy. I've got Google Authenticator. I've got the Microsoft Authenticator, and I'm trying to use one password for everything, but I, for some reason, I still have some things on the other ones. So I need to go in and just I usually just have to go into the settings of whatever yeah. website or app you're in and just, you know, set up a new one time password. Yeah. I'm, I'm using the Salesforce Authenticator, Authy, and um, actually, I'm not using one password for any of that, surprisingly. Interesting. I tried to use, so I had a client that I think they, oh, I can't remember. No, it was, um, it was, it was, I'm pretty sure it was Azure's. You know, that I had to get in and log in to my my Azure account with them mm -hmm. and set up uh, set up multi-factor to get their VPN to work. Oh, and so okay. I'm in there, and when it got to the point of setting up the one-time password, you know, normally you just, you know, you 
you would, uh, I mean, my, this thing said, open up the Microsoft Authenticator app and scan this QR code. And I thought, oh, no problem. I'll just use one password because this, this is a standard. This is not some proprietary thing. And any compliant app should be able to do this. And I scanned the QR code with one password and it said, um, we don't support that format. One password said that. Mm. Wouldn't, wouldn't scan in the QR code. So I did that. And so I installed Microsoft Authenticator just for that. So now, now I've added to my list of one-time password apps that I have to use. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a bad job of consolidating. <laughs> well, that's not your fault, though. No, it's not. I tried. Yeah. But usually, I mean, it seems like one password works for almost all of them. I don't know if Microsoft's doing something proprietary or if they've got some proprietary extension to the one-time password spec. And they, they just might have thought they had a better way of doing it. And... But e- even if you do have I, a better I, way I, of I doing we, it. I thought we were in the era of the new Microsoft, John. <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> I, I we we really are. I had to refresh not not had to, but I I've, I like to watch a lot of kind of vintage things about vintage software and vintage software releases and stuff like that. And through that, um, I'd forgotten so much of the crap that Microsoft did to other companies. Bad stuff. Yeah. Oh, it was just bad. their their yeah. practices yeah. and the way they would strong arm people. And I mean, it was just like little literal mafia type stuff. I'm just, oh yeah, I worked at a company crazy. where we had to deal with that. Yeah. It was terrible. Um. What about the fact that they basically just tried to tried to ruin the web? They yeah. tried to ruin the open web. Yeah. Um, well, that that gives me a good uh, segue into this other thing I had here, which is I don't, I don't know if we talked about this, but Microsoft is now producing their own build of the Open JDK. Okay. And I thought, well, here we are. You know. Well, that makes sense. They have their S- sharp square in the circle here, <laughs> right? Um, is that still still a thing? Is F sharp still a thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Are you thinking of J plus plus? No. Okay. Yeah, F sharp's definitely a thing. It's pretty pretty widely used for fun- in functional programming circles. Am I thinking it's something else? So, uh, so F sharp should be a Microsoft kind of version of Java, or like their offshoot of it, kind of mm-hmm. like the way C C sharp was kind of an offshoot of C. Yeah, I, I consider C sharp and Java to be. I mean, C sharp. Was was a pretty much a rip of Java. Yeah, but I thought F Sharp was like another version of that. I don't. I don't it was just another language that came out around the same time that I just didn't have time to learn, and I I didn't really spend much time. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's it's more. I, I would more if I had to equate it to something in the Java space, maybe Scala. That's probably not fair. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So you know, Microsoft decided they they needed to have their own build of OpenJDK, and I'm like, well, why why would that be? I mean, we already have. You know, there's. I mean, there's OpenJDK itself and, and adopt OpenJDK, but there's, you know, Azul has one and, and Amazon has their own. And, and, you know, Amazon and, of course, Oracle and I think IBM. And there's a lot of different, you know, free to use um, builds of OpenJDK out there that all pass the TCK. And mm-hmm. they, I've, I've switched back and forth and I've just experimented with using different ones and I've never had a problem, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. But they're all they're all pulling from the same source code. I mean, some of them like you know Azul. I mean, they're they're kind of famous for uh, performance improvements. So I think they you know they're definitely a, a fork of OpenJDK. But they're constantly you know merging back in the, any changes from the, the the official OpenJDK into their project. So it's mm-hmm. always compliant and up to date. Yeah. Um, but you know when when Amazon, I think there's called Coretto. Um, they they've had that for a while now. But the, you know supposedly the reason that they have that was because you know for all the Java workloads that run on AWS machines, um, 
you know, they needed a, a JDK that they could really tweak and test that they knew worked really well on their, on their platform, which okay, kind of makes sense. I mean, I guess. I don't know why the standard JDKs wouldn't work well. I'd never had a problem running Oracle JDK's hotspot on Amazon hardware. Mm-hmm. But what's funny, though, is because uh, Coretto comes with all the AMIs nowadays. I just, I just use it. It works fine. I mean, they all, they all seem to work fine. I've never had any, I've never noticed a difference between any of them. Um, but anyway, uh, got a quote here from this guy. In fact, I, I keep forgetting this guy works for Microsoft. This guy, Bruno Borges, I don't know how to say his last name. I think he's Brazilian or something, but um, he's hugely known in the Java world. One of these guys that just, um, I think he's been like Java champion and just mm-hmm. always speaking at conferences. Well, he works for Microsoft. And he says the, the interest in producing the Microsoft build of, of OpenJDK was an evolutionary process that started by recognizing that we sales, or Salesforce, Microsoft runs hundreds of thousands of Java workloads internally, followed by a significant growth in the number of Java workloads on Azure. So mm. Azure customers aside, Microsoft has hundreds of thousands of Java workloads inside the walls of Microsoft. Wow, that's I know. interesting. They, uh, 500,000 JVMs is a large footprint for internal systems of JVM-based workloads, uh, work, workloads, especially for Microsoft. We have systems based in Scala, Kotlin, as well as Java. This number is based on what we were able to confirm when talking to different divisions across the company, but we are confident there's actually more than that. I would have I thought maybe a bunch of acquisitions and things, but you mentioned Kotlin, which is fairly new. Yeah. So they're, they're actively adding to that. I guess. Um, it was natural to release Microsoft, a Microsoft build of OpenJDK so that we could apply these patches while they were waiting to be merged upstream. We have the expertise in-house to build, test, and roll out these binaries. By producing our own build, we can expedite improvements and fixes while we, pr- while we proceed to upstream those changes in parallel and wait for them to be merged. We also wanted this to be a new venture for Microsoft to participate more actively in the Java ecosystem and contribute to the Java community. That's the new Microsoft. It, it's it's not it's not bad. I mean, with with Oracle kind of owning the the official Java. I mean, it seems like the way to kind of get back at that is to invest more in the Open JDK as a strategy, which yeah. means there's more dependence on Open versus uh, officially licensed uh, Oracle Java. Right. Right. So anyway, I just I find it interesting that Microsoft's you know, has uses so much Java internally. That was, that was my big, that was the, that was the, um, bearing the lead there. It's holy crap. Could it be easier to run the hardware? <laughs> was it all Linux? I don't know. I mean, you can run Java on pretty much anything. Well, I know, but isn't it cheaper to, to, to load everything? Well, they're Microsoft. They, sh- they shouldn't have all the licensing costs and maintenance of. It's free for them. It's just error, yeah. right? <laughs> And it's also interesting when you look at, I've never quite figured this out, but when you, like on AWS, when you want to run a Windows VM over a like equal Linux VM, mm-hmm. the cost is, the cost difference, at least for my, at my scale, which I acknowledgeably is, is incredibly small, but it, it's almost like completely negligible. And in some cases, I think they're the same price. It's like, well, because you know, Amazon's having to pay Microsoft licenses for that, for that time right. you're using on on Windows Server licenses. Right. But on top of that, SQL Server. I mean, you can run a SQL Server for, like, the same price that MySQL is. I mean, I don't understand how 
Microsoft you're getting speak. I just feel like you're getting you're 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 renting the hardware, but it's almost like you're getting this enterprise software for free for Microsoft. And I just I don't know. I mean, it, there's a little bit of incremental cost, but it's it's so minor. It's like wow, this is this is by orders of magnitude the cheapest way to run Microsoft server so- uh, software. Yeah, maybe it's just just the the natural evolution of them having Azure in general and diversifying their their licensings. Licensings, their licenses <laughs> might be a word <laughs> which Amazon is able to take advantage of as well. Yeah. Um, whereas I, before, there probably wasn't no such thing as some kind of virtual uh, CPU rate limited license structure, and maybe they do have something that like that that does make it a little more accessible to those type of things. I think this also highlights why it was important for Microsoft to get in the infrastructure game because it's just clear that that's where so many of the dollars are going. The, the the IT spend is going to go is infrastructure. Yeah. And if you're not in that game, then the Oracles, the AWSs, the Googles, I mean, so much of your customers' money are, is going to be going to them and not you, even though you're not supposed to be a hardware company. I mean, Microsoft, except with some exceptions, right? Gaming and some other stuff. Keyboard and mouse, you know. Oh, yeah, those were wins. They're generally not a hardware company. And, and, and I guess you could, since, since Azure is everything as a service, they're, they're not selling hardware. They're, you know. Whatever they're using internally, but I mean they're basically in the hardware business in a way. Yeah. So I don't know. Interesting. Uh, John, what else? How's this format working out for us? That's pretty good. Seems yeah, to be I, flowing pretty naturally. I feel like it's about the same amount of dead air as we usually have, so I can't sound any worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't talk about Apple, did we? We have not talked about Apple yet. Oh, I have. Um. I have an I have an uh, TVOS fourteen point five and an iOS fourteen point five thing to contribute to this. So why don't you lead us into it? I want to hear what you're contributing. I, I will, I will. But get, let's get started. I don't know what I don't know what this article is. So you can introduce us to it. It's just it's just part of the rumors of of the next refresh of the Apple TV that's supposed to have one hundred twenty gig one hundred twenty hertz refresh rate um, coming out of it. Well, what is it? we've got the four K now. Yeah. Um, but the refresh rate and the, the reason the refresh rate is kind of important is mainly for which what I believe is going to be for their next push into home entertainment gaming games. Yes. Okay. Because um, that's the only reason you would want to tout that refresh rate. People who are watching their Netflixes and things like that aren't going to care about that. They just care about 4K pixel density. That's all yeah. they care about. Mm-hmm. What they don't care about is refresh rate, which is which is kind of gives you a competitive advantage in that that you're seeing more of the action happening without some without um I used to know all this so I'm not going to get into it but there's a lot of there there can be gap frames that get filled in because because yes. the refresh rates don't match is it filled in by AI uh, it's algorithms <laughs> well, that's AI John the new world the new word for that is AI yeah it's probably called AI now but yeah yeah, there's all kind of different algorithms, and you'll see these branded names that talk about how they handle that, like G-Sync and all that kind of stuff. But it's really just trying to sync up um, the images that are produced on your screen versus how, because there's a gap between how fast your 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 GPU can process images and how fast it can display them on the screen. And you might get jitters, or you might have a character that's in one spot and jump to another spot because it's trying to figure out where you are in terms of how it streams that that data to your video. So. That's why they're touting this, in my opinion, is that they're really trying to go after that game market. Um, they have the Apple Arcade. It's okay, but I think they're trying to go for more high-end gaming support. Okay, so I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said, although there's an asterisk to this, which I think I might be right on, which is 
I think it's also potentially important for film, like movies and things, and 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 any TV shows. Really, anything that is shot at twenty four frames per second. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because there is because of some of this, like these TVs, these proprietary things they do to increase just the the quality of the image. Oh, the, yeah, mo- the moving you image. You go into that soap opera mode that just looks so weird. Well, so that's not good. That's not what I'm talking about. But I, but they do things. I mean, there's like a lot of these TVs have something called also like a black frame insertion. And, it's, oh, yeah. and I don't, I forget what problem that solves. But, you know, these TVs, they, they have, they have all these kind of features just to make the image look better. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, higher refresh rates help with those processes. And the problem you've got with if your TV only is, it goes up to 60 hertz or your, or your, display source only supports 60 hertz is that 60 is not divisible by 24 but 120 is divisible by 24 so i think it opens up a new world of quality you know image improvements for 24 frames per second content could be wrong but no you could be right i think if they didn't have their own studio film studio now producing original content i probably would put that lower but given that they have that, I think they'll be able to produce the content because not everyone's producing content in that frame rate. No, no, no. The content is 24, which is totally standard. But the tricks the TVs can do to make that look better will benefit from 120. Basically, up. They, they, it's not upscaling, but it's a whatever the up refreshing to 120. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can do more tricks to make that 24 frame content look good. Okay. I don't know. I've, I've read stuff like that on some of these TV review sites and how 120, because it's divisible by 24, it, you know, movies and things look better. Well, now I wonder what, what it's doing when it's buffering and streaming. How much of that is straight bits to the screen versus, or is it just all buffer and then it's applying the refresh? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think that when you feed a TV like a normal you know, let's say 24 frame per second stream, a, a modern TV mm-hmm. that's got a pretty good quality is, is going to be doing things. It's not just like raw outputting that. It's doing stuff to it to make it look better. Yeah. To reduce judder and jitter right. and all that crap, I guess. <clears throat> well, it's only good news. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to see the Apple TV kind of grow and continue to be invested. I yeah. mean, for a product that started out as a hobby, uh, a product that we maybe got one or two refreshes every three, four years. Um, which like, I think is still kind of the case. I mean, we got a, the last one was what two or three years ago. The current the four current it is 4K at gen. least four years old. Yeah, which is why I waited after I realized I wanted one. I waited for about a year to get it, and I just gave up and got one because yeah. I'm like I can't wait anymore. I need it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it's got to be it's got to be this year. I'm I mean, hoping. I mean, I said that last year, so that means it really has to be this year. Yeah. I am kind of glad that they stuck with the device versus a, an official Apple TV screen. I, I think this is just a more a, a, be- a better play. I yeah. mean, I'm more likely to buy two or three Apple TV devices than I am to replace all my TVs. I thought you know an Apple TV would be badass, though. An actual TV. Probably, but would I be able to afford it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that doesn't mean it wouldn't be badass. Uh, can I use my uh, my my annual uh, technology space stipend <laughs> on it or whatever? You want to. It's up to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how. What do you mean your computer doesn't work? We just gave you money yeah. to fix, update your computer. That, I bought a TV. <laughs> that stipend would probably buy you like the the 27 inch version of that TV. Yeah, that's about it, probably the Michael Scott 4K <laughs> size TV. Yeah. 
Oh, no, it was a plasma. It was a plasma to be had. So the, the thing I was going to say about 14.5 was, so for a while, my kids have been begging me. Speaking of the games on the, you know, so the Apple Arcade is fully, I think, available to Apple TV. But the problem is most mm-hmm. of the games require a controller, like a game controller. Yeah. And so you either have to buy, you know, like the PlayStation one works, Xbox one yeah. works. And there's also these, you know, Apple created a standard called MFI, which I think stands for Made for iOS, mm-hmm. which also applies to TV. And it's some kind of, you know, some kind of wireless or wi- I mean, it could be oh, it could be a wired version of it too. Controller interface that if the controller implements, I can communicate with iOS. It can work with iOS and tvOS. And I knew Xbox was one of them. And I and I asked my old son. I'm like, hey, you know, like I'm going to go ahead and get you guys a controller for the Apple TV. Like, would you prefer the Xbox or PlayStation? He's like, ah, I think the Xbox one's better. I said, okay, so I'll get that. So I bought, you know, whatever the newest. And uh, it's really the only. There's they only have really one. It's the Xbox Series X wireless or something like that. That's mm-hmm. and of course you can get eighty different colors of it, but. It's pretty much just one controller. They don't sell the pre... Like the Xbox... They called it the Xbox One controller, which is a previous generation. Right. I think if you want those, you got to buy them used. Anyway, so I buy this, and I uh, pair it to my Apple TV. It pairs, but it doesn't work. Like nothing... It won't control anything. Hmm. And so I finally looked up and found out that this, this newer controller... Same thing with the play, whatever the newest PlayStation controllers is. I guess on the PlayStation 5 or whatever the newest PlayStation is. Those also don't work yet. Mm. Um, but 14 point f- it does work with 14.5 so my, my old son he put the 14.5 beta on his phone and it pairs and works with his phone great and in fact it, uh, Apple even says I think in the, in the, in the 14.5 documentation that they specifically are adding support for you know, this Xbox con- controller and also whatever the Playstation controller is so, so now you gotta wait until you can get on Apple TV yeah because I don't want to put the beta on it but um, supposedly it's I mean, I read, this was a week ago when I read, uh, it was a, an interview with one of the yuckety yucks at Apple that said that, you know, I think it was actually uh, Tim Cook, said we're, you know, we're, it, it's a matter of a few weeks before 14.5 is released. So, yeah. But that'll be fun, though. I mean, the Apple Arcade is pretty darn good. I mean, compared to, like, the Roku games that we had, oh my god, it's not <laughs> even close. But you know, or how about the the DVD games? Do you ever play some of those? Oh my god, those are horrible. Those are just <laughs> bad as like the TI eighty five games. <laughs> Snake. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Don't knock Frogger. Snake. But but even this you know super ancient Apple TV four K I have. I mean, the, the game quality on that's pretty pretty amazing. And you know you can imagine because I'm guessing the new Apple TV is probably going to have Apple Silicon, or Apple Silicone, nice and squishy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm guessing it's probably going to be, you know, an order of magnitude, probably more powerful than the current, just processing graphics wise. Yeah. So that's going to so. open up, you know, cause Apple, they got to, they got to keep expanding their sales of licenses and games and all these kind of, all this kind of stuff. They're going to keep growing. So yeah, I think this could be a potential big platform for them. Yeah. We're seeing some kind of indie games that, that are, that are being put on it and they're, they're compatible. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh! So you'll see, like, yeah, they're, they're a lot of kind of smaller, kind of, they have a very specific art style to them. A lot of times they'll go back to, like, the pixel art and things like that. But they're games that are available on PC, no. and they're bringing them to Apple TV and things like that. Through, so. through Arcade? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, 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 the toes are getting dipped in that water for more high-end games to be played on the Apple TV. And if you look at the Switch, with its small form factor and, the, and what it's able to do... Uh, in terms of playing games, I think if they can create a small Apple TV with similar hardware, I 
they, it can be done. And you can play, you can have some really high quality top tier games on it. Yeah. I'm not saying you're going to be able to fully spec out and play, I don't know, <laughs> pick your, your, your most high end PC game on it, but I mean, right. It's, it's still not going to be a PC. It's probably still won't even, well, I say this, but I could be wrong. It's probably still not even going to compete. It, raw performance wise with something like the latest PlayStation or Xbox. Oh yeah, definitely. But actually not. if it's Apple Silicon, I don't know, man. It'll be interesting to see. I think they could give them a run for their money. But that would be everything running off of the CPU. I mean uh, I don't know what they're doing with the you know what they'll do with GPU wise. But I'm guessing it'll be I don't know. Again, I'm totally speculating. It would be great if it's really competitive with those with kind of leading Yeah. But you know it's gonna be that Apple TV is gonna would have to be at least five hundred dollars. That's what it is, anyways. When it first is it that releases, much? I feel like it was like, like two hundred fifty to the four K, three count four hundred yeah. or something, depending yeah. on like how much storage you get and things like that. It's gonna be more expensive than that. Yeah. Well, but you're gonna go <laughs> buy one, <laughs> maybe because that's what we do. I'd still like to get my hands on a PS Five, but I can't. Can't get a PS Five? Oh, they're just too hard to get. Yeah. yeah. We tried to get one, either that or the Xbox. I can't remember for for Christmas and just. Oh yeah, there's no chance. Kind of glad we didn't though. My kids don't need more games. Uh, the game catalog is kind of light right now anyways, but in fact, a lot of the games are kind of dual releasing on previous gen and next gen. So, yeah. I do want to talk about uh, the latest IntelliJ. So it, it got revisioned up to 2021, so we've got a whole new major release out on it. There's a few good things on it that I really like. Um, if you're curious, Illuminate Cloud has released updates that make it compatible and fix some of the issues. Although, so now that I'm doing plugin development for IntelliJ, I do have to I do have to give yet yet again props to Scott Wills of Illuminated Cloud for always standing on top of that because IntelliJ or JetBrains, whoever they are, they they actually don't make this easy. No, no, it's it's work. Um, mm. They break APIs, they add new requirements, and your plugin is not forwards compatible with future versions of IntelliJ at all. You have mm-hmm. to, at minimum, you have to produce new builds that actually target that new version. And as a, as a part of that, I think you also, I mean, to, of course, they do have API changes, so you have to make, you have to update your, all your plugin code to use to, for, their up, for their API changes. Yeah, I've so seen them do their work. breaking change releases where they, they basically just block a plugin from running until you update, so, yeah. or until it updates, sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've, I don't know if this was an. They're saying this is a new thing. I thought we talked about this before, but they have a new kind of uh, pair programming, you know, team collaboration code thing called uh, Code with Me. Uh, so there, there's actually a free tier for like a, I think it's like to up to three people that can be on it, but it'll support you know screen sharing and everyone interacting with the same kind of code project. Um, it apparently has some videos, uh, video technology built into hmm. it as well. So it seems pretty cool. Um, this goes back to, I feel like we always have this conversation, but was it not Slack? Did we determine it was Slack that bought whatever the great a Screen Hero? They, Slack bought Screen Hero and then just disappeared it. And I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> well, now you can have code with me. Yeah, hopefully it works do that. close to as well as Screen Hero does. Yeah. It did. Um, they added it, and this is kind of one of those things, like, they added it, but it's like, a lot of things have already done that, but they have a, they have a, internal html preview tool now doesn't work with um lightning or visual force visual force pages uh so from my perspective not that useful but i can see for for someone who's doing you know normal html development it's nice to have that kind of panel in your ide so it's there 
I mean, you could accomplish it by launching another browser, which you can do still today, and have it watch and all that kind of stuff. Live kind of, refresh. Sometimes it's nice to kind of just see it in your, your yeah. IDE. Uh, they did some changes to the Git uh, kind of processing. I guess their tool windows they have for those, mainly around uh, pull requests and things, just to make that easier to use, which I do use. I kind of use a combination of the terminal and the, the kind of UI windows that they have, just because it's easier for me to kind of add new files or kind of just select which ones I want and, and write, write a quick commit message. You give um, an example of that today. I, I've, I've been using IntelliJ's Git tools a little bit more, but there's still things that I'm just so much more comfortable with going to command on. So one of the things today, I was, I was working with someone, and we were, I was trying to explain to this person, like, hey, here's what's, here are the features that are in UAT that are not in production yet. And I'm, I'm I'm following these this graphic of all these branches. I'm like, oh wait a minute, this doesn't cross that because they, you know, they they joined. It's like right. I don't know. It's like looking at a, a, a train junction or something. It's like I can't, you know, I, you, it's so hard to follow. I'm like, I think it has that feature, but not that one. But I'm not sure because this this diagram's hard to read. I was like, ah, screw it. Let's go to the command line. Git log production dot dot uat mm-hmm. enter, and it just lists all the things that are in uat that aren't in production. I mean, it's just you know, so the git command line interface is first of all so incredibly incredibly powerful and i probably don't even know 10 percent of it oh yeah for sure yeah I, I barely, it's too powerful i barely use one percent of it for in fact sure. i'm gonna start a campaign to reduce the power of that thing it's too powerful i can't handle it <laughs> uh, well i'm glad the tool window's there because it kind of helps me out um i actually use uh tower a lot a lot less since they added the, a lot of those git tools into the ide because the only reason i used it was for things like that where i just need to kind of do some checkboxes. that's faster than me trying to type out all the freaking files that i want to push into this or or add or whatever I, um, i've been using intellij's the main thing i've been using is the they actually separated out their commit window from the main git mm-hmm. did you notice that yeah so they have the separate commit thing now yeah that was a real Changed a few years ago. Yeah. It kind of threw me for a bit until I got used to it, but now I really love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I love it, but I, I, I don't know. It probably makes sense. Um, but no, I, I use that now just because it's it's just so easy to kind of cherry pick the files you want to commit, and then yeah. I also do the commit and push at the same time. Oh yeah, I've been yeah. using that. I was kind of I didn't use the commit and push for a while. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that yet. Then I was like, oh, I'm commit and push. Especially on the repository, anyways. Because I'll do a commit and I'll be like terminal commit. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, well, I'm doing it anyways. Yeah. So I haven't, I haven't, I don't really do much pull requesting, so I haven't, I haven't seen their UI for that. Yeah, I, I want to do more of it, but I mean, it's just me. So unless um, I do a pull request and, to myself, it's not. And so pull requests are a proprietary thing. Who's pull requests? Is it, do they support like, obviously specifically they got to support GitHub, but I imagine yeah. they support maybe a, the uh, Bitbucket and some of the other ones too, or GitLab. I'd imagine. I mean, uh, wait, am I right about that? GitHub. I think pull requests are proprietary. I don't know. That's not part of Git. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know. Someone fact checked me on that, but I mean, technically, it's all just pushes and merges, right? I mean, I remember. Um, I mean, the pull request itself is 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 separate from Git. It's you know, you have a branch that you're basically sending to someone, say, "Hey, here's a branch on my repository. Look at it. Right. Compare it if you want to. And then if you like it." You know, at least in GitHub, you know, GitHub gives you just some easy buttons to to take that person's branch from their repository and then merge it into your, right, into your, in one of your branches. So, but I think that's totally, and I, I, I feel like I recall that Linus Torvalds had a pretty good rant on why he doesn't use pull requests because they are proprietary and, you know, of course, you know, listed all these ways that GitHub does it wrong. I'm like, I don't know. They're pretty damn easy to me. You know, so I think it's pretty <laughs> awesome, but, you know, you know how he is. Yeah. 
Uh, some other new features, notable features, not all of them, but uh, I, I like fonts. So if you're if you're like me and you 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 want to play around with fonts just because it gives your guys your eyes something new to look at, uh, they added font weighting now, so you can actually pick a, a more narrower, lighter font. If that makes sense, narrower and lighter. Yeah. Uh, you know what? The, what when they um, they added a new you know, custom built JetBrains font. Yeah, which I use. A while back, which I do use. I yeah. mean, I was like, oh, I'm going to give this a try because I'm pretty opinionated about my, my mm-hmm. coding fonts. But I give it a try and I'm like, I like it. I got to say. I like it, but it was a little bit thick for me. And so, <laughs> uh, so now that they have this, I immediately went and, and picked a, a, a lighter version of it. And I, I, I love it. So I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't handle the... No, I couldn't the handle one. the girth of it. Oh, God. <laughs> You made me say it. I did not. That's always my fault. Because you had this sneering look on your face. That's why I wish we had videos sometimes. <laughs> oh, just so you can see the looks you give me. Predator. Yeah. Uh, another really nice feature, and it's really awesome because, especially when I switch from my screen, which isn't that big, and I want to get an ultra wide so I can have everything visible. Mm. But when I switch back to my laptop, I my flow for when I'm developing is I'll have multiple panes, code panes open, so I'll have like three columns on my screen sometimes one being the project uh directory structure mm-hmm. one being uh, my current class file if i'm doing uh like visual force and apex then one will be the page and one will be the controller mm-hmm. if i'm doing lightning then i'll have the controllers and and uh, html templates on the screen or if i'm doing unit testing then i'll have the the class and then the unit test and a separate brand um but on a smaller screen of course those columns really narrow yeah and now what you can use you can double click on the tab and it'll expand it and so you can focus on that. And then you can double click on it again and it'll bring everything back. Is that new? It's new. Like, it's new in you... the way that it collapses things and kind of pushes it to the side. Okay. It doesn't get rid of it. It just kind of pushes uh, it hmm. out of the way. Okay. I haven't seen that. Yeah. I mean, you could always kind of go into like a full screen or focus mode, but this kind of just kind of pushes things out to the side. And when you say you double click on the tab, is this an editor window tab? An editor window tab. Does it, yeah. is it, so it's only editor windows? It, pu- it pushes my project outline as well. I know, but that's, that's, that's what you can double click on is the editor window. The tab. Yeah, I think, I think it's double click. Yeah. Okay. But either way, there's a command that lets you kind of push things out and mm. you can kind of focus on that and then you can push everything back out or back in. Yeah. Um, so that's one to look at. Yeah. Um, the only other thing is I've, I guess this is a new thing, and maybe I'm I'm dumb for not knowing it exists, but I didn't know there's a thing called JSON line or JSON L. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but apparently, it's a new kind of data structure uh, to kind of compete with CSV. But it's basically line based JSON. So a row would be a JSON structure, and then you could line break, and that would next row would be a new line of data. Hmm. Um, so apparently they've added support for that, and because they added support, I became aware of this new standard or merging or emerging standard. Yeah, I mean, I'm always open to suggestions or improvements on things like that, but, you know, XML didn't change this, JSON didn't change <laughs> this, CSV is the intermediary. That's what, when you have to exchange data between yeah. disparate systems. It is CSV. That is that is the common denominator that yep. everything can support. It's a text file with commas. Yeah, and and there's even there's an RFC also just to just to make sure that everyone knows like how to escape, you know, yeah. how to escape things and all this stuff, you know, and, and pretty much everything is. I mean, unless unless your tool really sucks, it's compliant with that with that uh, RFC. Yeah, that RFC is pretty pretty detailed. You got an RFC for your CSV. Yeah, <laughs> I remember we. 
me and another developer, we built a pretty compliant CSV reader. I think it was for a- Apex or for Salesforce. No, it wasn't. It was a, it was a .NET thing. Um, but we built it to be to be full spec. It's a little tricky because it has to be stateful. Yeah, there was there was a lot to it. Yeah, I mean, you, you we started thinking it was going to be easy. We just had to escape a bunch of like you commas and single quotes and things. Yeah, and, you you can't regex. You can't do a replace. Yeah, none of that works. It has to be a stateful yeah. parser. Yeah. So that thing ended up being a beast, but um, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do that. I'll let other people do that. I think I'm reaching the end of my topics yeah, here. Well, I'm reaching the end of my energy. <clears throat> yeah, me too. I'm kind of losing my voice. I'm trying to make sure there's nothing else I wanted to get into here really quick. In terms of news, I mean, there really hasn't been much news. It just kind of sucks these days. The um, the IntelliJ kind of collaborative kind of tool you were talking about, whatever that's called, mm-hmm. you get code with me. Mm-hmm. You said it was it's like free. There's like a limited amount. Is that is it totally free if you have the paid version of IntelliJ, or is it still like an add-on service? It's an add-on service, okay. so you have to you have to add it on, and I think you have to install something as well, which gives you that kind of uh, interface for mm. for the um, sharing and for the invites and things like that. I would say you and I should try it out, but we don't work on the same things. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there are times you have me look at stuff, but that's true. It's just a Zoom, and we do the same thing. Yeah. So. But I mean, there's gonna. I mean, with the way things have turned out, there's gonna be an influx of these type of tools, and and. I don't know. It's just it'll time will tell either how well they'll be received or how how good they'll actually work. Not from a the tool works, but from a do we really get something out of it? Out of it? Yeah. Like, is it really productive for us to work this way? Type thing. Yep. I mean, I've always liked the idea of pair programming, and you know, you do small stints where you're like, "Hey, look at this," and you kind of explain your code, and through the process of explaining it, you kind of self realize what your issue is. Um, but I've, you know, I'm curious to see how it works if you have true pair programming with two people sitting there working and doing that. Yeah. I mean, the idea is it needs to be better than the, you know, analog pair programming, which is when, when you're type, when you go to switch pairs, you know, someone steps away from the keyboard mouse and someone else sits down with the keyboard mouse and you just switch chairs, you know, take turns. Can I just swap chairs? I don't want to feel their warm butt chair. I think you can swap. I think that's allowed. Okay. I don't know. I'll have to go ask Kent back, but okay. I believe it's allowed. Good. <clears throat> All right, John. Well, let's uh, let's wrap it up then. Did we get to our community stuff? Well, we had um, that third age of trigger frameworks, but that's probably a rat hole at this point. Yeah, I think that that, that turns out to be a rat hole because we could talk about trigger frameworks for, and I have a lot of opinions on it. Um, is that the one that we mentioned, you know, a month or two ago? That there was I a, think this there, is a different one. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> I, I think part of my reasoning for bringing this up is that we're, that there's a plethora of uh, trigger me. frameworks oh coming out. Can we not just can we not just pick the best one and just crown it and go with it? I don't think we found the best one. Rally yet. around it. I mean, that, the, the only reason TDM that... work. I mean, the only reason TDTM is is like my main go to is because it comes pre installed with with EDA and NPSP, and I just it's there for me to use. Yeah, but I don't like that it's data. I used to like that it was data, and now I realize it's bad that it's data. Because none of it is deployable. We have environments that you refresh, and they're dev environments, and it has none of the automation. So you have to go in and run the native tools that says, go create my native automation. Then I have to go and manually create all my stuff again. And then deploying, people always forget to yeah. deploy the, the trigger handlers. And we're like, why isn't that working? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know. I mean, it, it does solve some problems. I mean, at least you can sequence things, and yeah. it, it allows third parties to essentially have their code work together in a, in a somewhat predictable fashion. Which I like. Yeah. I just wish it was metadata so that I can deploy it. Custom, even, custom metadata? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that probably has its trade-offs, too. It does. That's the, that's the problem with <laughs> custom metadata. It's like, but sometimes I want it to be data yeah. and not metadata. <laughs> yep. That's always the exercise of that pro and con of that. Yep. Um, well, quick sticker update. Um, I'm caught up. If, if you've sent a sticker request in, other than, like I would say, in the past month, like you should have gotten your stickers by now. Um, there's been one person that reached out to me that unfortunately didn't get a big old pack of stickers I sent, so I might have to send those again. But anyone else, if you've uh, if it's been over a month and you haven't gotten your stickers, then something's gone wrong. So let me know, because a lot of this, especially the international stuff, I'm like, I don't know, does this work? Can I just put like six stamps on here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, we have confirmed cases that it's working. I mean, I know I've sent stickers to lots of different countries, and um, only one report that they they didn't get there, um, and that was from like a year ago. So who who the hell knows what happened? <clears throat> but everyone else, you should have gotten them. Um, and anyone else, we still have lots of stickers, so please send us your sticker requests. It is absolutely free. We can ship anywhere in the world. And you just email info at gooddaysirpodcast.com and just uh, put stickers in the subject, and then make sure you give me your address and how many stickers you would like, so I know where to send them. Yeah. We also take uh, feedback and sh- show suggestions at that email address, the info. And we have a Slack which we haven't uh, done Slack Connect with anyone yet, but it's just, it's an independent Slack. Uh, <laughs> oh, speaking of Slack, it's, non- our, it's non-integrated. Are we going to do our job posting highlight that we said we were going to start oh, doing? Oh, I don't know if we, I mean, we can. I don't know if we have to do that every show. At this point, I'm, I feel like I'm in wrap-up mode, and I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got beer on the brain at this point, John. And I haven't eaten in <laughs> almost 24 hours, so there's, there's that. There's that, yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to get pretty hangry, so <laughs> no new topics. <laughs> gotcha. Um, yeah, our Slack, if you're not in it, you can go to gooddaysirpodcast.com and click on community and just sign up there or uh, anyone else that's already in can add you. And that's what else? It. Yeah, share us on the share socials us, like and us. tell your friends and tell your enemies and tell the Twitters and all those things and make us rich and famous. Um, the rich this, this community is as good as its network effect. And the more people that are in it that are the right people, and by that I mean people who are uh, interested in sharing and uh, comic relief and helping, or if you're just interested and you just want to lurk, that's fine too. But basically what I'm saying is no spamming. And we have rules on job posts. We do support job posts, but they have to be for your company. So you can read the rules on our jobs channel. But uh, yeah, if you're not in, get in. And send us emails. Get at us. We like the feedback. Makes us feel like we're not just shouting into the empty universe. All right. (laughs) Well, into that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.